Welcome to the Better Clinician Podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician Project brings you high-quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. So it's that time of the month again. We are back for Thoughtful Thursday. And as usual, we are going to uh, flex our intellectual um brain cells or brain cell is, is it'll it, be just the one yeah just the one um when they talk about having two brain cells to rub together i don't even have that um but this is the uh part of the month where we uh answer questions from the bcp community and give our unbridled opinion unfiltered opinion are you ready to do this adam I am. I do like a thoughtful Thursday, mate. I like the freedom to be able to express my unfiltered, unbiased, no, very biased opinions, actually. (laughs) I'm not sure where that came from. No, they're not unbiased. They are very biased opinions. So, no, I do. I am ready for this, mate. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We don't have to, like, we don't have to talk about, like, evidence and shit. I don't have to find anything to justify what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's great to have that freedom and flexibility sometimes, yeah. yeah. Well, some people always have that freedom and flexibility. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so the first one this week is from our staunch, solid, upstanding BCP up Matt Parcell down there in Devon and Exeter. Would we call Uh, him a core member? Yeah, I'd call Matt a core. He's pretty solid. But I think if you cut Matt open, he'd be yellow and blue inside. <laughs> Why yellow and blue? Oh, aren't they our BCP colours, yellow? Oh, well, of course. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you now. Sorry, I wasn't on the same train of thought. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm sure that after four years of having like a logo and stuff. <laughs> I, I, so it'd be like a stick of rock with half yellow, half blue and BCP written around the outside of it, yeah. Yes, he has no internal organs. It's yeah. only... The, uh, a core of the BCP. Anyway, so Matt has asked, um, how do you manage clinical uncertainty? Any top tips? Do you discuss your uncertainty with patients, taking them through your thinking process? Are there any possible downsides to being so open? Yeah, great couple of questions. In fact, there's probably about three or four questions in one question yeah. there. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good topic, this, and it is something that I think, first of all, needs to be discussed and talked about more because I find that this topic is often glazed over and sometimes just blatantly ignored because a lot of people assume expressing uncertainty means you're lacking knowledge or ignorant and therefore you don't know what you're talking about and you should never be able to say I don't know because I saying I don't know as I say is a is a weakness and uh, I think completely differently now um, I actually think it's it's good to discuss this topic and I actually think when people say I don't know I think it's a sign of strength it's a sign of humility it's a sign of uh, finding that place in life where you are not so much of a knobhead you are not trying to 
go around and pretend you know everything and you've actually realized there are things that are just unknown and there are things where you're lacking knowledge and as i say that's a very good position for a healthcare professional to be in you're less likely to take unnecessary risks and you're less likely to do something stupid or say something stupid so my first thing is is i think you know more clinicians need to start saying i don't know to each other and to their peers and to their colleagues and also to their patients. Um, I'm not going to say it's easy because we can get into that as well. And we can talk about the challenges of it. But it's the first thing to do is just be more confident and comfortable with saying, I don't know. Don't see it as a weakness. See it as a strength. Yeah, I, I think maybe I say I'm not sure more than I don't know, if that makes some sense. So so I do agree with you. Um you know, I think the great example is like non-specific pain. You know, there's if someone was to say to you, you know, where does this shoulder pain come from? Where does this back pain come from? I don't think it's that we don't know. I think it's that we aren't sure if that makes sense. And I think a really good way of dealing with uncertainty is to say, you know, it could be X, it could be Y, it could be Z. I'm not sure for certain which one of these could be the cause or could be a contributor. And so, you know, as, as Matt asked, asked the question, you know, how do we deal with that? I think conceptually, we don't know. I totally agree. But I think maybe one way of getting that across to, to patients and other people is that we do kind of know, but we don't know for sure. And we can have educated guesses and we've got ideas. Um, and I think it's maybe the way that we present that uncertainty that that's that's key potentially. Yeah, no, okay. That makes relatively sound sense, I guess. You know, <laughs> a little you bit really of don't want it to. You, you... No, there's a little bit of semantics, but I, I yeah, do yeah. hear what you're saying there. Um, saying, you know, we're not sure rather than we're not knowing, I think is, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. And I think that's the other thing I do is it's not that I say I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I also like to say that we don't know, yeah, as in yeah. as in the collective body of our profession. Absolutely. You know, it's not just me that is uncertain here. It's everybody else. I'm just expressing it where I think a lot of other people are not. They're hiding it or they're, they are... They're giving their best guesses or yeah. their very poor guesses to this uh, uncertainty rather than just saying, we don't know. So, yeah, I think that's probably the way I would probably manage it is just saying it's not just me that is uncertain here. It's all the other physios and all the other healthcare professionals based on the information that we've got. We just don't know. Yeah. And I think that uh, I, I use something quite similar, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching and stuff. I'll say, we don't, you know, I don't know, or I'm not sure. And then I'll probably preface that by saying, but I don't think anyone else does either. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good position to be in. Yeah. yeah. Although other people may think they, they know, they probably don't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so we have this kind of, but again, I think, you know, expressing that, as you say, firstly, is kind of admitting it to yourself and admitting it to others. Um, but I do think that it's worth working on, to some degree, minimising some of that with a patient uh, yeah. in the sense of, you know, I think we should still give people some options of, you know, it's like, again, I'm going to go back to my specialist area. You know, I might say, well, it could be a muscle, it could be a ligament, it could be a tendon, it could be a zigzagar joint. Um, and, you know, we can't be sure. We don't have tests that tell us but it doesn't maybe matter that much if, you know, if we were to be more specific. 
Yeah, I think the other thing I like to do when I'm trying to discuss uncertainty is is do it by telling people what we do know more certain before yeah. I start getting to the areas that I'm uncertain. So pretty much like you yeah. said, you know, it's it could be this, it could be that, it could be that. But before I start saying that, I say, it's not this. It's definitely yeah. not this. I can be quite certain that it's definitely not this, this, and this. Yeah. What the Where the uncertainty comes in is now saying what it is. So we can exclude these things yeah. with a lot more confidence, but where we're, I'm lacking and everybody else is lacking confidence is saying what else it potentially could be. Yeah. So I have a little saying that I use again when I teach, which is I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I can probably tell you what it isn't. Yeah. I think and, we're, we're much better at saying we don't yes. know what it is a lot more than it is what, what we think it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's, you know, uh, uh, as a as an exclusatory process, I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, there? absolutely. Yeah. I, I think sometimes patients, you know, they may be thinking it's these things and we can sometimes say to them it isn't. And I think that's useful. I think yeah. they say but ticking off these things that it is unlikely to be is a good place to start when you're talking about pain and disabilities and the causes of all the causes of that yeah but i mean you know that's reassurance isn't it mm -hmm. that's reassurance is that people are often you know again we know this from from some qualitative research people are worried about is it something serious you know they're worried about you know how long is it going to last for you know yeah. all of these different things um you know what's the likely prognostic factors and actually when it comes to lots of non-specific conditions I think there's lots of things that we can tell people about. Mm. You, you know, there, there is a whole multitude of things that go into a narrative where it's uncertain is this exact label that we put on it. Yeah. Um, and actually, a lot of those labels, especially when it comes to the components of non-specificity, those labels don't actually make that much difference to the prognosis. What actually makes a difference is all of these other things that we can be a little bit more certain about. So... You know, so I think the, the I think with uncertainty, we're always trying to make sure we sound like we know we've got a handle on the problem. Yeah, so and I think that's a yeah massive key point is is it is being confident in this uncertainty rather than being you know unconfident, lacking confidence because I say that that I don't think is tolerated very well. So you know, expressing your uncertainty confidently, not because you're like. Yeah, you're ignorant, but you're expressing it be based on what you know, because you say being uncertain doesn't mean you don't know anything. You know, it's a common misconception. So, you know, yeah. if you if you've got the confidence that you know stuff and that you're yeah. still uncertain, then I think that's much better tolerated. Yeah. And that goes back to Matt's point here. What does what does he say exactly? He says, do you discuss take do you take them through your thinking process? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think I will often say, well, I think this because of this, this and this. Yeah. One of the ones I use quite a lot is explaining, again, how we're uncertain or how it's very unlikely that we'll be able to give a single sole structural uh, diagnosis for shoulder pain, which is what I see a lot, based on the simple anatomy. Everything sits so fucking close together around the shoulder. Yep, and, you know, yep. just sometimes getting some drawings up or getting a picture up and showing them how the long head of biceps sits millimetres between the supraspinatus tendon and the subscapularis tendon. And then overlying all of those tendons, you've also got the subacromial bursa, which could also be a source of their symptoms and pain. And just, you know, just, as you say, discussing the reasons as to why there is very difficultness or diff that's terrible grammar, why there is... <laughs> I'm still jet-lagged, all right, from my... It's the, it's yeah. not just your terrible education. <laughs> it, might, it might be that as well. <laughs>
Um, but just how there's a lot of difficulty in being able to say it's with any confidence this bicep tendon that's causing your shoulder pain because you've got these other tendons that say sit so close next to it that could be giving you the same sort of symptoms and that when we do these tests that we think are specific to the long head of biceps, these other tendons are also still contributing to the movements, to the tasks that I'm asking you to do. And even by poking and pressing around the things, you know, they're all so close together. My big fat fingers, when I press on that, is going to be touching other things. I've got to go through the bursa first, except So again, just all these explanations just explain the uncertainty to somebody. And I think that is much better well, understood by them and tolerated. But that's easy. Just go and get an image. <laughs> well, and again, you can then start having these discussions about that. And, you know, I'm quite in a fortunate position here as well, because I do use uh, ultrasound in clinics diagnostically. And and I have now learned um, from years of doing it that I actually like to scan the pain-free shoulder first and point yeah. out the anatomy to the person on the pain-free shoulder. And this is an excellent educational tool because you give them a little bit of a, you know, validation or this person's giving me a free shoulder scan. You know, you build up a little bit of a rapport there. They start to think it and they get a bit interested. And sometimes you can see what looks like pathology on the pain-free shoulder. And then you go to the painful shoulder and often it can look very similar. And then you can say to them, so, you know, when we saw these things and this bicep tendon on your other shoulder that was completely pain-free, this one's looking exactly the same. This one's looking, you know, the same thing as your pain-free shoulder. And I think, you know, that also helps as well. And also it looks like you've fallen asleep overnight in the 80s and the, you, the telly's stopped working. Oh, you with know, the fuzzy grey. The yeah. fuzzy, yeah. It's yeah. Just Particularly with my scanner, it's getting a bit old. It's a bit outdated. I think we need a new one. I need to get the trust to uh, try and dip into their pockets, which is uh, no easy feat. Yeah, so I think to summarise with, with Matt's question there, I think we'd probably agree... You know, it's uh, being able to admit to yourself and to others that, you know, this is okay, that there is uncertainty here. Um, I think there's the point of discussing your reasoning, being able to point out what it isn't as much as what it is. I think there's giving people options, you know, about what it could be, but we can't be certain. There's the idea that, you know, lots of things are a bit uncertain in the body because things overlap, especially musculoskeletal stuff. Um, but again, it all comes back to, I think, as well, how do we generate a situation where people trust us and they like us and they're willing to tolerate uncertainty with us? Um, and, and that's probably um, really important. But, you know, I do think that it's important to be open. So what might be a downside to being that, so open? That's exactly what I was just wanting to get into. Yeah, so the downsides of being so open, This I, I always have this dilemma when I talk about uncertainty, particularly when it comes to somebody asking me, well, what type of treatment is best for this? Which treatment approach? Yeah. Should, should I have surgery for this or should I not bother having surgery for this? And as we know, there is a lot of uncertainty yes. around answering this question here. And so, you know, I find that sometimes can be a tricky area to navigate and there could be potential downsides in giving people a lot of confusion over treatment options when they have already perhaps made in their mind uh, a decision to try one treatment. So the classic one I often see, rotator cuff tears are told they need surgical repair, but it just ain't that easy because we know, again, the evidence out there is uncertain about, you know, what type of tears do and don't need surgical repair to improve outcomes, reduce pain and improve function. 
Um, it isn't as clear cut as just as where the size of the tear is and how big it is and which location it's in. There's all these other factors, you know, the patient's social economical status, their mm-hmm. psychology, their, you know, comorbidities, all these things, you know, do affect whether a rotator cuff tear is best managed surgically or not. And because of this uncertainty, you know, I, I do try to give patients options and say, look, I know you think you need to have this tendon repaired, but sometimes you may not need to have this tendon repaired. Mm. And then I think, am I actually potentially making this patient's life more harder and difficulter? Again, terrible grammar, I know. More, more difficult, I think. More difficult, yeah. more difficulter, um, yeah. more difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> am I just am I just adding another level of unnecessary confusion and complexity to a patient who's already perhaps made their decision to to want to go? And then am I conversely affecting their outcomes from that surgery that could potentially have been a good result for them because I've now planted a seed of doubt and uncertainty into their mind? Yeah. No, no, I yeah. Yes, there, there is the, that. I think that aspect of confusion. Um, yes, are you contributing to the confusion? Are you contributing to the uncertainty? But and maybe are you, I think, you know, contributing to the patient's lack of progress as well. Because yeah. I do find mixed messages and uncertainty it it, it can paralyze patients. Yeah, they don't know who to trust and what to do. Maybe the answer then sometimes is to ask first, what do you think? Mm. You know, given what you know right now what do you think seems like the best option and can we talk through that you know yeah yep. so, that's a good 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 starting place find out what their expectations are and their beliefs and their ideas and stuff along those lines um yeah but again i think we we still got duty and care as clinicians to fully inform patients of you know of other options as well and i think you know and, and again that's part of me still in my brain i you know says this is good that you're doing this, Adam. You're being honest. You're being evidence-based. You're being a good practitioner. But are you potentially fucking this patient up now by, say, adding that mixed message in, adding that confusion, yeah. and is that going to impede their progress with their preferred treatment option that they wanted to do? Well, at least you have chosen to reflect. Yes. Treatment, haven't you? So kudos to you for that. So thank you, Matt, for that question. Gave us a lot of meat on the bone for that one. So good question. Matt. Uh, we have one from Vigiliano over there in um, uh, Anzio. I've actually been to Vigiliano's uh, clinic a few years ago to run a course. Flew into Rome and went out to this place called Anzio on the on the on the Italian west coast. I think it is. There was a famous battle at Anzio. There was during, during the Second World War, yeah. The Battle of Anzio. Yeah, funny enough. <laughs> wow. Um, it's very near Rome. So as I say, we flew into Rome and then went out onto the coast. And I, I can't remember when it was. It was like it, it was it wasn't warm, as I recall. And so it was like being on the Italian sea. It's like being in Eastbourne in like February. Um, so it was, you know, an interesting experience. But we had I bet it was a little bit better than Eastbourne. Well, no, like what? There was no one in the hotel, or I think I was the only person in this like grand Italian hotel. And I went okay. for breakfast, and I was like on my own with like all the cake and shit. Um, so, so yeah, I remember that. But he asks if a big name of medicine refers to you a patient with a prescription full of BS, and the patient fully believes his doctor or her doctor. How do you manage the issue? Do you tackle hard the words of the doctor? Do you look for compromise or do you look to help help change the patient beliefs through your knowledge? And I like this use here, the art of speaking. 
<laughs> Very yeah. good. Great question again, Vigiano. Lots of meat on the bone, as you just yeah. said there, Ben, for us to be able to pick apart Absolutely. and discuss around here as well. Um, yeah, where to start with this one? So I think I'll start with some of the errors that I've made in these situations. Well, and I'm, I'm not sure we've got that kind of time, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they do what they say failures and errors are where we tend to learn the most well we should be anyway if we yeah. recognize them and uh and, try and reflect to act again yeah yeah no well i've made this mistake before of uh of challenging um uh, other clinicians well-respected clinicians um ideas and prescriptions uh, that patients have got when they come to see me and um it's gone horrendously wrong um, I've realized that the patient has got a lot of faith and trust in that other clinician and they don't appreciate somebody else not ridiculing them, but they don't appreciate somebody else challenging them and questioning them. And so they end up not listening to me and actually being quite offended and pissed off at me that the fact that I have taken this approach by saying that this person isn't telling you the exact truth, the full truth, or is talking a load of silly bullshit. Um, so I think I'm a bit more wary and careful now about this situation, and I tend to tread uh, very gently here now. So I, the first thing I'll always stress to clinicians is don't slag off another healthcare professional in front of your patients because it often doesn't go well. So even if you think that this other clinician is talking complete and utter bullshit, absolute nonsense, is being detrimental and harmful to this patient in front of you based on what they're telling you, don't slag off or critically uh, start ripping apart this other clinician in front of the patient because it just it's not professional and it just doesn't go well. Yeah, and I think we have to think about the, you know, we have this information and we have this other person and they can be incorrect. But the person that gets caught in the middle, you know, is always going to be that patient. And I think sometimes, you know, it's the classic writing. Oh, my God, someone's wrong on the Internet. We have to set it right. And actually, that doesn't um, that doesn't take into consideration all of those things you brought up. Like this person has trust. They have belief in this other person. And then suddenly you're challenging that. And I think that just can often just create confusion. And in confusion, I'm going to go back to what I know. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, it, it does make me reflect sometimes and wonder what are other what are patients of mine telling other healthcare professionals that they go and see what I say and what I ask them to do and stuff. Let's not even go down that rocky road. Um, and there's also the point of that sometimes actually what we're being told isn't entirely accurate. No, well, that's that's my point. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I could be saying, you know, what I think is the best position based on evidence and research, and the patient could have totally misinterpreted it and misunderstood yeah. it, and now has gone over and told somebody that they've gone to see Adam Meekins, and these are all the things that he's been saying, and just I haven't said any of that. So, yeah, it does make me sometimes wonder what other patients are telling other clinicians and it could be about our, And I and actually often frame that as a, a, our our failure to explain very well. You know, I'll often say to patients, you know, just just to make sure that I've I've uh, I've explained this correctly. You know, could you kind of just feed back to me a little bit of of what we talked about? You know, without trying to like put them on the spot too much. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think there, I think the whole kind of evidence based movement has created a situation sometimes where we challenge information that's incorrect. 
Um, and that's great. You know, science doesn't care about feelings and all these other kind of perspectives. Unfortunately, human beings do have feelings and science doesn't care about them. And that's one of the problems. Um, that's why people do not change beliefs and they don't change ideas and they double down exactly because they're human beings with emotions and, and with feelings. Um, so I do think that, uh, you know, we have to consider the dynamic of what's happening, not just if information is incorrect or correct. So a tactic I often use, I might say something like, well, there might be a, another option. Um, I say, well, ah, there's some new ideas that have been floating around or science changes a little bit and there's some recent new science. I'm sure your doctor might come across it very, very soon. Can I please share it with you? Maybe in the next 17 years. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to say he's wrong. I'm just trying to present that there is another option. Science changes, ideas change. I'm sure your doctor is going to hear about it soon. Um, but maybe in the meantime, let me let me help you understand that a little bit. So I think it's that direct nature of you're wrong, your doctor's wrong, you're stupid for thinking that. Oh, my God, someone's wrong on the Internet. Um, I think that's where we really have to think about not just the information, but the dynamic of information and relationship and trust and these type of things. And unfortunately, that's part of the challenge. Yeah, no, it's uh, some great points you make there. I think something else that I've uh, started doing that I think also helps is by, you know, also just saying or asking permission to the patient first to say, look, you know, I've just got different thoughts and feelings about yeah. this now. Is it okay if I explain it the way I see it now rather than yeah. what, you know, you've been told by somebody else? And some people, and in fact, most people say, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear what you say. But if you get that permission, then you just know it's, it is it is accepted better than if you just suddenly vomit it, other information over them without first asking that. Yeah. I mean, look, you see this on things like Twitter, don't you? Someone posts something up and then someone has to get their opinion across or, you know. And Unsolicited advice is the yeah, fucking worst thing in the world. Comments, you know, comments that that maybe you, that, you know, uh, you know, and I'm probably guilty of that. I can think of something I did quite recently that was maybe I shouldn't have done, but um, that's a cathartic moment for me. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> there's more that I need to find after we come off air. I need to find yeah, out. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I tell you, I wasn't, you know, I suppose the point of something like a public forum, like Twitter is that people comment on. Stuff. You're putting your ideas out there for people yeah. to comment. And so yeah. it's slightly different. I think you've got a great analogy. It was it you talk about, the, is it the pub situation? Yeah. So, yeah, well, this was a bit about kind of pain science, but I'm sure it's similar that, you know, you're 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 in the pub and someone's, you know, kind of talking to you about something like a drunk in a bar talking to you about some information. And it, you know, it, 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 it all butts in. Actually, it, but yeah, got yeah, so, somebody overhears the conversation you're yes. having with somebody else. No, they're, no. So they're, they're, my example was I was in Denmark and I was sitting there with, with my mate Brian. Who, who, who invited me over to teach at Aldeburgh University. And I, we're talking about IPA. We're talking about IPA beer. And I don't know whether this is true. Or, but, you know, I always say, well, that's a British thing. You know, we made it strong to ship it to India. And, you know, y y I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm talking bollocks. I usually am. But then some drunk dude said, no, no, that's wrong. And he was, and do you know when you just think my first terminology that came into my brain was wanker, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know when someone just pipes up and they yeah. stick their nose in and they say, you know, in front of your friend, you're wrong. 
Yeah. That's not why. And they, you know, he proceeded to fucking rattle off all this bollocks. And I just switched off by then. All I could think was wanker, 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 wanker. I go repeatedly over and over again in my brain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that idea of unsolicited advice, especially in a pompous, arrogant way, um, really doesn't come across very well at all. And I'm sure we've all been guilty of it. Um, but and I, I can think of some characters who are very guilty of it. But at the same time, um, being a little bit more aware is, I think, really important. And just saying, maybe there's an alternative way to, to view this. Do you might, would you be open to discussing that? Absolutely. And and the other thing to also consider is, you know, sometimes the, the patient has brought into these outdated, silly bullshit ideas and you don't want to make them feel stupid. No, that's the that point. Either as well. No. So I think, you know, that's the other thing to tread carefully over because, and again, the way I've worked away around this to try and again, take away that, that feeling of, you know, stupidity by believing somebody else is to say something along the lines was, I used to think like that as well. I used to, I used to, I, I used yeah. to say these things. I used to believe these things. I was taught these things. Yeah, you know, and and I think you know it just allows that person to realise that they're not stupid or silly no. for accepting and believing this advice. If somebody else has also done the same thing, yeah. Well, it, it's a validation, isn't it? So, yeah. so I, I, I will a, a, a kind of way that I can sometimes approach this is say it makes so much sense. You know, it, it, the, these things are plausible. They make sense. That's one of the reasons they become co common knowledge. Yeah. What we know from researching these things, sometimes these really intuitive ideas don't actually make sense when we look at them in a different way or when we look at them with the evidence. And the point there is to say, do you know what? You're not, you're not stupid. These ideas are plausible enough to be, you know, to, 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 to make sense. That if the ideas were not plausible, they'd have just been rejected. So there's huge plausibility to them. They just don't stand up when we research them, which is, you know, maybe because we understand the human body slightly differently. It's not a mechanical thing. It's a biological thing. But the idea of trying to validate people and say, do you know what? You, you, you are not uncommon by believing this. No. The only reason I don't believe it is because this is my field, you know, and I've done a lot of research. So, so I think that validation is really important. Yeah, great points, mate. Yep. Good. All right. Well, I think we are we are at the end of the two questions we usually do. There was one more little one from Bob Hessel talking about using the assault bike to remove lactic acid. And that is one of the things that really gets me about this, about what I'm talking to silly bullshit about. ideas. Yeah, there's, there's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea of things like metabolic waste products and this lact lactic acid. I think you only get lactic acid in milk, as far as I know. There's lactate. You no, know, you do, but your body breaks it down, metabolizes it very quickly, so it doesn't hang around. It's it, it, it's broken. I can't remember exactly what. Yeah, it's so into. it's the Krebs cycle. Yeah, it's part of the, it's part. It is part of the exercise metabolic pathway. You do produce lactic acid, but you don't store lactic acid in your muscles. It doesn't yeah. stay stagnant. It doesn't just sit there, causing acidity and damage and harm to your tissues. It's it's metabolized and broken down very quickly. Yeah, so you would use the Krebs cycle in the absence of oxygen. And the point that I think the the power the 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 problem with the Krebs cycle and the reason. It's very inefficient. You use lots of calories to break down lactate through the Krebs cycle. I think maybe you use something like six calories and glycolysis. Glyco, 
Mate, you like a license? Don't, don't go, because you're going to end up getting yourself into yeah, a... Yeah, I'm, right, like, I'm going right back. Because I, I haven't revised the Krebs no. cycle since bloody 1983, I probably think. Yeah, but yeah. it's very, very inefficient to use lactate as an energy source in the absence of oxygen. Yeah. Um, and that's why we obviously use glycogen as a, as a, as a more available source. But you need, obviously need oxygen to burn glycogen, as I remember. But, but you, yeah, you, no, no, nothing removes lactic assay like no. going on an exercise. You metabolize it, massage. No, you don't. You don't. You don't remove lactic acid by doing these recovery cool down strategies. That's that's well, not the reason. Yeah. Well, any any. I suppose you could say that any time you are being aerobic, then you wouldn't need to use lactate. But yeah, I'm probably confusing myself now a little you bit. Are. I'd probably have it to. It just doesn't. Yeah, you just don't need to do any of these low intensity cardiovascular movements or have a massage or do no, some. Going for a walk to, would do it to, to flush out waste yeah. products. Yeah, going just, for a walk would probably be. You know, anything that's going to be oxygen related will help get rid of that shit. Yeah. I mean, what you're trying to do is reduce the effects of post-exercise soreness. And again, you know, and, why, and, and the mechanisms behind these things and how they reduce your soreness perceptions is very uncertain because it's not all oh, based 100%. around the physiology. So, 100%. I, yeah, I did. I, I remember doing a project at, at university um on on doms and what we know about doms is not a lot <laughs> no it's not uh, it's say after you know hundreds of years of research into it we're still very uncertain about it i think some of the best reading i've done is old um, baz horan i think he's a dutchman i was going to say dutch but i don't know okay, might be dutch. Dutch, but yeah he's, he's done a great paper on he's done a couple actually on recovery strategies and the evidence behind what does and doesn't work based on what we do and don't know so i'd, I'd recommend his work to go and read around that yeah. Yeah, there we go. And I think we've uh, reached the end of our thoughtful Thursday for this week. Some good, some good, strong questions this week, weren't there? As, yeah. as we talked about, a lot of meat on the bone. Juicy, mate. I think they're juicy, thick, and meaty discussions. Double discussions. tomahawk. <laughs> it was a dry age, 45-day dry age double tomahawk type of question. Yeah, so thanks, everybody, for those questions. And again, if you are listening in via the podcast rather than being a BCP member, remember, as always, why the fuck aren't you a BCP member? If you've Great enjoyed question. this podcast and you've listened to us and you found it useful, then come over and join us on the project, the fastest growing online uh, community for all musculoskeletal therapists uh, to give you you know, some sound, rationable, uh, evidence-based information around all things in around musculoskeletal therapy and being a musculoskeletal therapist. We don't just focus on pathology. We don't just focus on exams and assessments. We just don't even focus on the fucking research. That's part of it. But there's also a shitload more to the BCP. So if you want to check us out, go on over to our website, www betterclinicianproject.com and uh, find out a little bit more and would love you to have you on board and join us. Remember, no contracts, no commitment. You can dip in and piss off as quick as you like if you don't like it. We don't mind. We won't hold it against you. Much. Well, a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe a little bit. All right. Great. Thank you so much.
Cool, guys. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful Thursday. And please tune in again.